The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. Welcome to Board with Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. You can think of us as the chips and salsa of gaming podcasts. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and thrilled to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I am one of your hosts, Kyle, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy who provides the right amount of spice to life. Josh, how are you doing this evening? I am doing just fine. <clears throat> and I feel like your analogy uh, fits perfectly for me because just like uh, the right amount of spice to life, I prefer my food too spicy. So just like real life, I tend to overdo it quite often. Well, I was just going to ask, do you have a particular favorite type of salsa at all? A favorite type? No, not really. I mean, any salsa is fine, but um, I really enjoy the um, habanero tostitos also that typically no one can stand because it's too hot so uh, i don't buy that very often gotcha i'm a big fan actually i enjoy hot salsa as well i enjoy uh, mrs renfro's habanero salsa oh i did just have did i just have that recently did they do a ghost pepper one also they also have a ghost pepper one i think i just had the ghost pepper one so I enjoy Mrs. Renfro's salsas in general. I think they are quite tasty. So here's an important question, though. Hmm. When attend, uh, when at a restaurant that serves chips and salsa, if you had a choice, would you choose salsa, guacamole, or queso to dip your chips in? Salsa. I hate guacamole. Oh my gosh, Josh! <laughs> guacamole is one of like it's one a of the greatest thing for me. One of the greatest foods ever invented. Guacamole is. I don't know that it was invented. It's well, a- created. We'll go with created. <laughs> well, it's fine. It's a texture thing for me is all it really is. Is I have an issue with textures. So if it looks solid and it doesn't um, go down solid or enter the mouth solid, or it, it just – I can't do pudding or, or – that, that tracks then, or though. yogurt or things like that either. That all tracks, though. That's consistent. I appreciate the consistency there. That's good. <laughs> It's all in my what brain, your, my friend. <laughs> what are your thoughts on queso then? Are you a queso fan? Yeah, I'm okay with queso. I don't, uh, but I'm more of a traditional, more like a just cheese queso. I don't necessarily like it with things in it. I know like most quesos have like peppers Bel- and stuff in <laughs> Velveeta it. and Rotel. Yeah, like there's like a good queso that is basically just nacho cheese. I can, I, I don't mind dipping chips in that, but. Once you start throwing in the other ingredients, I, I'm not a big fan. Are you a fan of going to places that sell burritos and things like that? You're more quick food style, uh, Chipotle's, Qdoba's, places like that. No, because okay. I'm very particular about what I like. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to get a plain anything at a Qdoba or... Uh, Mexicali, if you guys have those, or, we don't. or or things like that, um, 
I do enjoy Mexican food. Um, I do enjoy, like, if I go to, like, margaritas. Do you have margaritas out there at the restaurants? Nope. No? Okay. Uh, sometimes on the menus, they'll have, like, plain tacos. Like, I can do that. Like, lettuce, tomato, grated cheese. But, like, most places put, like, sour cream and chives and all these things that I don't want. So, I, I really don't like being a picky orderer at restaurants. So I typically avoid going to Mexican restaurants. So what you're saying is you like Taco Bell tacos. I like homemade tacos. Okay. Okay. Taco Bell tacos are fine in a pinch, but I don't actively eat a Taco Bell. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm a, I prefer as authentic as I can get Mexican food, which in the middle of Iowa surprisingly can do okay sometimes. There actually are some small towns that have some very good I mean, not wholly authentic, but pretty authentic Mexican compared to what you would find at a more chain Mexican restaurant or a sure. bigger Mexican restaurant. So I'm someone who definitely enjoys, you know, my tacos that, you know, some carne asada tacos with some lime and cilantro and maybe a little bit of red onion and calling it good. So and yeah. a excellent homemade salsa on top. So with homemade hey, tortillas and all that good stuff. But I hope, I hope no one is hungry listening to this. Right I, now. I agreed. <laughs> absolutely agreed. So, Josh, you know, before we get into the full show too, one last final question, not food related. Uh, is it about how I preemptively spoiled Game of Thrones on last week's episode? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be about that to a degree. <laughs> but here's my Game of Thrones question for you. Mm. Twofold. Spoiler free. Number one, give a three word summary. On your feelings on the finale is number one. Okay. Number two, now that Game of Thrones is over, what the heck television show should I watch? Oh, okay. Uh, three word summary. Uh, it wasn't bad. That's good. That, that works. That's nice. Because <laughs> just that way, I'm like, I'm right in the middle of this terrible train ride that the internet's on. <laughs> right. <laughs> Have you? Do you remember any? Almost anything. Can you think of almost anything that has had this significant and widespread of a backlash in pop culture recently? Not recently. I mean, there's plenty of shows that have had um, uh, hate that it, right. it's viewed is similar to this. Maybe not to this level, but that's because the internet is more of a thing than when Lost or Battlestar or Sopranos ended. Dexter! <laughs> Dexter. Can you imagine? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Um, uh, what do you watch next? I don't know. I'm watching Chernobyl. I think it's excellent. Ooh, I, uh, I do want to watch that. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't give you a recommendation to watch a show that's going to compare to Game of Thrones. Like, it's going to be a few years before we get another series, I think, that, that clicks like that um, for everyone. Like, that's a show that, like, that seemingly everyone liked. Right. Everyone certainly has an opinion on it. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying Chernobyl very much. Um, how many – do you know how many episodes that's supposed to be? And it's just a mini series, right? When it's done, it's done? Yeah, I don't know. I don't – yeah, I mean, they're just, they're just telling a story that right. you can't really write sequels to, at least not yet. Um, uh, I don't know how many episodes. The third episode came out a couple, day, a couple days ago, if you're listening. Um it's very good so far, though. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, for anyone, I mean, if you haven't watched Black Mirror, uh, now's a great time to start because season five comes out in about two weeks. It's only three episodes, but it's plenty of episodes to 
catch up on. Um, for me, I have some thoughts. I never watched Deadwood. And Ooh. considering watching it because the the movie's the movie. coming out. Yep. I never finished uh, Westworld season two, so I'll probably just start that over. Because um, I know they showed a trailer for season three. I intent I intentionally didn't watch it because I didn't want anything accidentally spoiled. Right. Um. And then weirdly enough, a podcast I listened to called Raised by TV uh, on the Airwolf Network. Um. They they basically cover like nineties. TV or basically the shows they were raised on. They did. They do a thing called first and last, where fans um, submit suggestions for shows, and they watch the first episode of the series and then the last episode of the series. Oh gosh! And oftentimes they they themselves have not seen the series before. Um, so they did like Lost, and they did some other shows, but they just recently did Buffy, and I never watched Buffy. I missed it by probably a matter of months for my age like interest demographic. Right. Um, and what they said really, I think convinced me to, to watch it because I'm a big Joss Whedon fan and it sounds like it's like peak Joss Whedon. So like, why wouldn't I watch it? I didn't watch Buffy when it originally aired either, but I did watch it later. I, I think the first season is a little rough, but it gets pretty solid after that. So Buffy, I think is a, a good choice. I do enjoy Buffy. Yeah, so you could go with any of those. Those are at least the things that I'm thinking of in my brain, and that all those are on Hulu, so that's easy to kind of just watch. And I'm I'm currently on season seven of Psych, so I'm pretty much done with Psych. They just I just watched the Clue episode last night, which was incredible. If you you know they had the cast from uh, the movie Clue on, and right, it was great. Uh, oh yeah, there's plenty I'm, to watch out there. I'm thinking I might try to dip into Vikings. Yeah, my wife started watching that without me, and she said it was pretty good. So I've heard good things. So that and Peaky Blinders are the two that are kind mm. of at the top of my list right now. So we'll see what I do. We'll see what happens. But hey, mm. you know what? This isn't a television podcast. It's a gaming podcast. Those say thanks so much for joining us this week. As always, if you have any feedback, questions, suggested topics, hit us up at Board with VG on Twitter or check out the awesome stuff we've been posting over on Instagram. Also bored with VG. We are a proud part of PSVG and PSVG is on Patreon. We're really thrilled with the support you've given us there thus far. And if you'd like to monetarily support what we do, you can find us there at patreon.com slash PSVG. But the most important thing to us is just that you listen and maybe share our podcast with someone else who you think might enjoy it as well. We are a proud member of the Dice Tower Podcast Network as well, so if you enjoy our conversations about board games and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower Podcast as well as all of the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games you enjoy, there is a podcast on the network that is right for you. So Josh, it is B week or A week, depending on how you want to look at it, which means (laughs) it's news week. So sir, what is some of the hot news in the board game world? Well, I guess we're going to start with the Spiel de Jaris nominees. Um, we, we obviously talked about Essen last week when Donnie was asking about uh, E3 for board games. Mm-hmm. And this is where they give out the awards at said E3 of board games. Uh, what you will find di- – no, sorry. Why did I say that? What am I thinking? <laughs> Don't quite find <laughs> Wow, I'm tired also. Did I also say I'm tired? Uh, the Spiel de Jars, uh nominees, so what happens is they have three different award categories in here, and, and these are things that 
Um, it's more than just an award because this is um, something you get to put on your game, which is a sign of a quality game. So it's not like a game of the year video game because everyone puts it like a game of the year edition of their games and they don't necessarily win game of the year. But every year there is only one winner in each of these categories and it holds a lot of weight in the board game industry. Uh, and I would even argue for people who are looking to get into board games, this is something you could say, find the winner of whatever type of like style of game you want to get into kids game, find the Kinderspiel winner, you know, like you can suggest these to people and it's generally agreed upon in the board game industry that the right games win these categories. Right. Uh, I mean, it's debatable, but I think generally we see that. Well, if nothing else, the nominees and often, you know, games that don't win will still put like, like Spiel des Jahres nominee or Spiel recommended or whatever yes. on there. So if you see the the label in general, even if it wasn't the game that won, it's usually a pretty safe bet that it's a quality game. Correct. So let me make sure I'm reading the right year this time. We had a lesson before. So uh, for the nominees for the Spiel de Jaris, which is the game of the year, uh, is uh, the first one is Just One, uh, which is a party game. It's by uh, um, Ludovic Rowdy and Bruno Sauter. Oh, boy. Uh, Llama, but it looks like it's an acronym, but it doesn't say that in the description, but there's dots in between the letters. Right. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know what the story is with that, but that's by uh, Reiner Knizia. And Where Words, and that's by uh, Ted Alspach or Alspach. Uh, I didn't know Where Words was new. Yeah, I didn't know old. that it was either. <laughs> And that's what's always hard with the world of board games is that, you know, the Spiel des Jahres is obviously a German award. Maybe Werewords came out in the U.S. ahead of time and it wasn't published in Germany until 2017. I, I think potentially just one might be slightly. That's bizarre to me. Yeah, because Llama is a 2019 game for sure. Werewords won Best Party Game at the Dice Tower Awards in 2017. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, it just maybe wasn't published in Germany yet. Maybe. Maybe that's what it is. I'm sure that, that that's what it is. <laughs> that's what I'm going with. Just a weird coincidence that it has been out for a couple of years here. Uh, okay, so do you have any thoughts on these games? I can tell you I've only heard incredible things about just one, um, but I have not played it. I'm in the same boat as you i've heard really really good things about just one it is kind of like you said a party game i think it's a cooperative party game if i recall like teams obviously and is it hmm, i'm trying to remember anyway i've heard really good things about it i've not had the opportunity to play it but it it seems like all three of these games and i know that the you know, this is just generally game of the year, and these aren't necessarily supposed to be. You, they're they're typically more family weight games. Yes, these all three seem, from what I know of them, pretty light. Even yeah. more than like what I would consider family weight, weight lighter than family weight. Even it's almost as if it should be the Kinderspiel nominee is not. <laughs> I mean, almost. But what do I know? I mean, I'm not. I'm definitely not an expert. But these all, from what I know, seem. 
little lighter even than what we would typically see from you know the spiel des Jahres. so yeah very light um and i've played where words um and i think it's a good game I, we had fun but it wasn't my wife my wife wasn't convinced enough to buy it even though i wanted to buy it <laughs> right 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 uh, but it'd be a, it's a great party game mm-hmm. uh, uh the the kinderspiel de Jaris, that's the children's game of the year uh the nominees are fabulantica by marco tubner go gecko go by jurgen adams and valley of the vikings by marie and wilfried fort i am unfamiliar with all three of those games Oh, okay. How about you? Uh, the only one I have heard of is Valley of the Vikings. But again, that is, I have heard of it. And that is about it. But again, stylistically, this is not the category I usually am most interested in. This sure. is typically, you know, the category you're going to talk about next is where I usually am at. But I also think that I don't know if any of, well, Valley of the Vikings, I'm pretty positive, is still only in German. I don't know if it has a US release yet. And it's a Haba game, so which is why I've heard of it. But yeah, Go Gecko Go and Fabulantica, I have not heard of, but Fabulantica is a sweet name, that's for sure. It is a pretty cool name. Uh, yeah, so last year's Spiel de Jars nominees were Azul, The Mind, and Luxor. Right, they just seem a little more... Yeah. Belt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, I've heard of Valley of the Kings, but not Valley of the Vikings. That's yeah. what, that's the only thing. Okay, and uh, the Kenner Spiel de Jars, uh, which is the enthusiast game of the year, uh, we have Carpe Diem by Stefan Feld, uh, Detective, a modern crime board game by Ignacy uh, Yep, and Yep, Reimer and Jacob Lapat. <laughs> and uh, Wingspan from Elizabeth Hargrave. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm partial to one of those. Uh, I've heard great things about Detective, a modern crime board game. And Carpe Diem is, well, it's a Feld game. So it's a heavy euro <laughs> and ugly. <laughs> I mean, that might be one way to describe it. That's very possible. <laughs> That's just a stereotypical way to describe it. I haven't it's played true. it. I would totally play it, but um, I don't know that I'll ever be in a situation where that would be possible. Uh, what do you think about those nominees? I think those are three really solid nominees. This is the, <coughs> excuse me, the category that obviously we typically play games in are, that fall into this category. Carpe Diem, I think is interesting because Carpe Diem and Forum Trajanum were the two Steffenfeld games, if I recall correctly, that came out last year at, uh, Gen Con slash Essen time, and I couldn't decide which one I would rather play. Apparently, Carpe Diem is the correct answer. <laughs> so that's exciting. But, you know, Detective is a game I am very interested in. Ignacy's game and Portal games in general, I always, I tend to shy away from now because I, I have a hard time typically getting through the rules and understanding exactly what I'm supposed to do. Obviously, other people have no problems with that. So that's very much a me thing that I need to figure out a better way to do it. I've heard really, like I said, interesting, cool things that Detective does stuff other games don't do. So I think because of that, I think Detective might have the edge here over Carpe Diem and Wingspan. Obviously, Wingspan has the hotness push right now that it's still kind of challenging to get. It's the game that people are talking about. 
it has been in the news both more broadly and sometimes for not great reasons, but it has just been in the news in general. So I think as a result of that, just because it is so present on the mind, Wingspan might have might take it. But I really think of these three games, Detective seems the most different of games that we have seen lately. So I think it might give it the edge personally. It's also called Flugelschlag. Wingspan is Flugelschlag. I could see that. I say that as if I know anything about German. <laughs> yeah, I don't not have a clue. What but, would you pick uh, as the winner here? Um, I mean, I'm 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 a, I'm a such a big fan of Wingspan, so I mean, I would have to go with Wingspan. Um, because I feel like even if I played Detective or Capri Diem, I think I would still enjoy uh, Wingspan. Only basing it off what I know of the other two games. I mean, obviously they could surprise me, but um, Wingspan is just an excellent game. So that's what I'll go with. That seems great. Yeah, and Detective, I mean, has a pretty solid rating and compared. But yeah, I think I feel like Wingspan probably is the favorite if I had to pick a favorite. But yeah. I do think that, you know, Detective does just some really, really cool things that we haven't really seen in games as far as telling stories and, and bringing in real world information and things like that. So, sure. Yeah. Cool. OK, let's move on to. The Dice Tower Award nominees. How's that sound? That sounds great. Let's do that. Let's do it. Okay. So the annual Dice Tower Award nominees are out. Uh, we'll just go through them quickly, I guess, uh, so we don't spend too long on two awards in a row. I'll look and just uh, spiels are short. Uh, best Family Game of the Year, we have Fireball Island, Gizmos, Reef, Space Base, and My Little Scythe, or Scythe. If you prefer. Indeed. Uh, boy, you know, Gizmos, Space Space, and My Little Scythe are all games I want that I don't have. That's um, good. That's good and, that those are all nominated then. And I have Reef and Fireball Island. It's hard for me personally to say that Fireball Island is better than Reef. Right. Um, uh, Production-wise, yeah, it's better mm-hmm. than Reef. But I think I like the gameplay of Reef better than Fireball Island. I mean, Fireball Island's gameplay is still very much a 90s board game gameplay. They didn't change much about the gameplay. Right. You very, know, very true. It, it's very much like, if you think of board games, for people who haven't played it, if you think of board games that you played when you are a kid, where you're like moving pieces along a track on a board, that's still what this game is. In fact, my local FLGS has the original Fireball Island for sale. Oh, really? I was like, oh, do I buy it? <laughs> no, I don't want it. Uh, what do you think about the games in that category? I think it's a good crop of games for sure. I do wonder because Fireball Island has the nostalgia effect, if that is going to potentially take that just based on it. Uh, I, th- I think important thing for listeners to know that the Dice Tower does their awards in the middle of the year for the previous year. So these are all 2018 games that they're being awarded for now because they want to ensure people have had a chance to play them. Henceforth, why you're like, hey, that game was talked about about a year ago. That's yeah. the So just an important thing to know. But I, if I had to guess, I would guess Fireball Island is going to win purely, I think, a lot because of the nostalgia, because of the hype around it. Uh, but I do think that, for example, Reef, like you said, Excellent game. Finally got a chance to play it, which I'll talk about in the future. But excellent game. A lot of fun to play. Uh, Would probably be a game that I would lean towards in this category. But yeah, I think probably Fireball will steal it. And it's important to note, even though we're part of the network, we don't get a vote in this. (laughs) We are not voting. We have no vote. 
<clears throat> okay. Uh, best artwork. Uh, we have Everdell, Root, Grim Forest, Cerebria, and Rising Sun. I'm inclined, well, I'm partial to Grim Forest and Everdell um, because I think oh, I own them and I think the artwork is great. Um, but I feel like Cerebria is going to win because, man, is that a beautiful looking game. And I really want to own it. It is also at my FLGS. I keep looking at it. Um, but it's so expensive. I might have to settle. They just released the Cerebria, Cerebria card game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I might have to settle for that. But uh, I think the artwork in that is beautiful. Um, what say you? I am also partial to particularly Everdell. That is the game I, I am most partial to and I probably would vote for. But I think Root has a very unique, very cool art style. Um, and it kind of is the game, you know, no matter how much wingspan is the game on the tips of most people's tongues and the hotness at this point, I think that Root is, has been the critical darling still. But you're right, you know, Cere- how do you pronounce it? Cerebria. Cere- Cerebria. I've never known how to say that name well is absolutely stunning to look at. That game is a looker, and I would be totally happy with that game winning, definitely, but my heart has to be with Everdell. Fair enough. I, I don't disagree with you on that. Uh, most innovative, we have Chronicles of Crime, Nyctophobia, Detective, a modern crime board game, Keyforge, and The Mind. You know, uh, right now, Nyctophobia is $8 at my local Target, and mm-hmm. I almost buy it every time I'm in there, and that- I keep going. Yeah. It's here next week. I'll buy it if it's because they're all in clearance. Uh, and I keep saying it, but I don't know that I'll get to play it with anyone. But the, the concept of it is very intriguing to me. Um, this is a category I think like your like what you said about detective could be uh, like the reason why it wins. I think Chronicles of Crime is very similar in the innovative aspect of um, crime solving. Uh, Keyforge is innovative, but not to the level I think that these other games are. Right. Um, so I don't know that I, I mean, I might just pick Detective based on like how like you kind of sold it to me. Um, but I, I don't know that I could pick a, a surefire winner in that category. Yeah, I, I kind of in the same. I feel like Detective is going to be the one because that game is so fourth wall breaking and you use everything at your resources you google search stuff you do all of those things while trying to solve these cases you know you have a dedicated database and and all this other stuff i think that it is really different and really approaching that sherlock holmes whodunit game in such a different way that i i feel like detective is going to take this nice okay best reprint we have fireball island brass lancashire Endeavor, Age of Sail, High Society, and The Estates. Uh, I've heard great things about all these games, um, but I've only played Fireball Island, so I'm just going to have to go with that because I don't know how the other games play. Yeah, and I think Fireball Island just has such a table presence, it's hard to argue with that being a good reprint or not. You know, it just it looks the part. Yeah, it It really does. As they would say in the world of mixed martial arts, it looks good getting off the bus. I'll have to take your word for that. <laughs> uh, our next category is best strategy. So we have Root, uh, Tihuacan, <laughs> Brass Birmingham, Coimbra, and Underwater Cities. Uh, you know, I, I got to say, it, it has to be a Root. I think so, yeah. <laughs> there's so much, there's so many different 
elements of strategy in that game. Yeah. That it's it's gotta be because every time if you don't pick the same clan, I'll I'll call them each time you play, the game is gonna be different every time. Uh, another game that I need to play. I have it coming sometime this fall. Nice. Uh, best production we have: Rising Sun, Fireball Island, Everdell, Brass Birmingham, and Grim Forest. So while I again think the production on Grim Forest is incredible. I don't know how you can't pick Everdell when people call it the most overproduced <laughs> like special edition board game ever. I don't agree with that, but people like really have some like salt for Everdell. I love Everdell. It has my favorite piece in a game ever. Is it the berries? The berries. I love the berries. <laughs> I love the berries in that game. My favorite little bit in a game ever. So I have to go with it. <laughs> All right, so we both go with Everdell on that, which isn't, I don't think that's a surprise. Yeah, I mean, Fireball uh, Island might have a chance if it wasn't for the box. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're 100% correct on that. Uh, best expansion. We have Scythe, Rise of Fenris, Terraforming Mars Prelude, Role Player, Monsters and Minions. I have a yawn coming at some point. Uh, Great Western Trail, Rails to the North, and Root the River Folk. And I push right past that young good for me nice work uh <laughs> i mean i don't know in this category i've heard great things about the river folk um but i've also heard that rise of the uh, rise of fenris for scythe adding that legacy aspect to the game is very popular and every terraforming mars expansion is super popular right um so if i had to guess i would guess scythe but I have no clue in this category. I would also guess size just because Rise of Fenris does so much to change the way you play the game in the sense that you are basically adding a legacy slash campaign style to it, to what was a single sit down, play the game, play the game, begin next time. So because of what that adds to it and how different that is, I feel like that might be where the nod goes. I don't have that expansion for Scythe, but I have heard pretty positive things about folks experience with it. Nice. Okay, best game from a small publisher. We have Root by Leader Games, Chronicles of Crime by Lucky Duck Games, Underwater Cities from Delicious Games, Vindication from Orange Nebula LLC, and Obsession by Kenyenta, Kenyenta Game. Obsession is that um, um, Pride and Prejudice game, which always looks interesting to me when I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it's going to be Root. Yeah, I Vindication think so has been getting some big good buzz too when it came out. Definitely. Um, but I think I think Root has to get it. I agree with you there. All right. Best cooperative game of the year. We have Chronicles of Crime, Just One, The Mind, Detective, a modern crime board game, and Stuffed Fables. And while I would love Stuffed Fables to win, I really think it'll be the Detective or Chronicles of Crime. Even though I know Just One has a lot of push behind it. Yeah, I don't know exactly what's going to win this one, but my heart wants Stuff Fables to win. Yeah. Well, we love Planet Games. We do love Planet Games, but I also really love Stuff Fables. They do good stuff. Almost almost started that campaign over again this last weekend. (laughs) That's cool. We we have to keep going here. We have to sit down and decide to keep playing that. If you start playing, I'm like, they've played it twice now. We have to finish. (laughs) Uh, Best two-player game. Uh, I have four out of the five of these games I've played at home. One of the four I have. <laughs> in total, two of the four I have. Uh, so Keyforge, uh, War Chest, Duelasaur Island, 
Haven, and Mythic Battles, Pantheon. You know, I want to say Keyforge is going to win this, but I think Warchest is the underdog and maybe the breakout in this category because that game is so good. And it's a crime that we haven't played it since PAX Unplugged at the house. It was one of those games where I looked up at my wife while we were playing, like maybe five minutes in, and she looked right back at me. And we both, I was like, we're buying this, aren't we? And she was like, yeah, we have to own this. Um, that game is a sleeper. So uh, I hope it can surprise Keyforge. Um, but I don't know. What do you think about this category? This is an interesting category. I Part of me wants to say that I think Dualsaur Island might get it just because the game that is attached to is so popular and had such a huge Kickstarter. Yeah. But, and I, I could be wrong, but just in general, knowing, having an idea of who votes for these, I don't know that Keyforge is going to fit in well with a lot of the, the style of play for a lot of those folks. So yeah, I don't know. I really, I haven't played, I've actually played none of these games. I have dual sore Island. I still haven't played it. I, yeah, so I don't, hmm, I can't give a good thought since I have played none of them. That's fair. You'd be a good judge. <laughs> uh, best new designer. We have Wolfgang, Vo- Wolfgang Vorsch <laughs> for Quacks of Qu- Quedlinburg, The Mind, and Gans, Sean Clover. Uh, we have David uh, Sikorel for Chronicles of Crime. Catherine Stipple for Nyctophobia, Ivan Lashin for Smartphone Inc., and Tim Eisner for Grim Forest. Uh, like I said, I'm a big fan of Grim Forest, but I don't know that you can ignore Wolfgang Lorsch for his three giant games um, that he's basically being acknowledged for. So I feel like he's going to run away with this one. I think you're right. My heart is definitely with... Catherine Stipple, just because mm-hmm. of the story behind her game. But I think Wolfgang Warsh has had such a such a year, realistically, or a year and a half, that I feel like it's very difficult not to give the nod to him. Yes. Okay, best party game. We have Just One, Decrypto, The Mind, Drop It, and Trap Words. I will say uh, Drop It pops up everywhere in all my board game groups that apparently this game is incredible. Um, Trap Words is um, by CGE, by the Codenames people. I've heard that game is very fun. Um, I've also heard Decrypto from Yellow is excellent. Um, but I think just one is going to take this one. Interesting. I just feel like I've heard more buzz about Decrypto. So that's kind of where my I would go. But yeah. I think this is a category where all of these games, you definitely hear good stuff about. The mind you hear really good and really bad things about. Yeah. Yeah. But people still really love it. So all these games, I think, seem very, very good. And Decrypto is just the one that I think that kind of sticks out the most to me. Fair. Okay, West uh, best theming. Western Legends, Root, Detective, a modern crime board game, Stuffed Fables, and Chronicles of Crime. I mean, I haven't played Western Legends. The theming looks perfect, but I think Root also, also wins this category. I agree. I think that it is going to as well, though my heart is with Stuffed Fables, as always. Yes. Okay, and the big one, the one that everyone's like, when is this over? Now, now (laughs) it's just over. Game of the Year. The nominees for Game of the Year are Root, uh, that game again, Teo Tihuacan, Chronicles of Crime, Underwater Cities, Brass Birmingham, Western Legends, 
Rising Sun, Architects of the West Kingdoms, Everdell, and The Mind. Now, for me, my first thought is with a game that actually wasn't nominated for any other awards. So I'm like, what are the odds that will win right. Game of the Year? But I feel like Architects of the West Kingdom has a chance, um, but it's probably going to be a root. <laughs> I think it's going to be a root as well. I just think that game, from all accounts, is amazing and just really has the mind share. You know, personally, from this list of games, I have not played as many as I would like. Everdell would definitely be where I tend to lean because I adore that game. But I think, yeah, like you, I think Root is probably going to take it. I feel like we missed the golden opportunity of uh, having William on this episode, and we would have had like a two and a half hour episode just going over the Spiel and the Dice Tower nominees. That's true. That would have been an excellent <laughs> idea. Maybe just, when the winners are announced, we can do that. Yeah, maybe that's a good idea. Okay, our next story. Only two left, people. Don't worry. We're almost there. This one will probably be quick. Yeah. The next two will be quick. Yeah. Uh, Elder Scrolls is getting a tabletop miniature game. Uh, that that might sound exciting to you. Um, Kyle and I were talking about this before we recorded, and it's maybe not that exciting for us. But basically... If you if you remember me talking about Fallout Wasteland Warfare, which I did briefly um, weeks ago, uh, it is essentially the skeleton of Fallout Wasteland Warfare with Elder Scrolls skin all over its bones. Uh, that being said, it is a narrative miniatures game. Um, it's designed by the Mark Latham, who did The Walking Dead All Out War, the Harry Potter miniatures adventure game. Um, and it's using Modifius's, which is the company, um, their Wasteland Warfare um, blueprint, if you will. Uh, and basically, in the first wave, it's going to come out in different waves. Um, you're going to lead your forces of the Stormcloaks uh, or Imperial Legion, uh, compromised, compromised. I should have had coffee before we started. Comprised of one to five heroes and three to 15 troops. Uh, where you fight for the future of Skyrim and uh, the Civil War. Uh, that comes in the first wave, which is a two-player starter set, just like Fallout Wasteland Warfare. Um, and uh, they'll be releasing reinforced sets of resin miniatures for the Stormcloaks and Imperial Army, as well as a Dragonborn single-player set. Um, then they'll, they plan on doing future releases. It will depend on the success of the game. Um, but as Kyle and I talked about earlier before we recorded, you can actually um, order some of the figures now, which maybe doesn't make all the sense in the world. Well, they're uh, they're promotional miniatures, which I don't know if that means you'll ever be able to use them in the game. But if they're purely promotional, that I don't know. Yeah, I mean, whatever fourteen ninety nine in British in euros, I think that's a euro. Uh, whatever that is in, in U.S. dollars, I'm not sure, but it's probably like. 30 bucks. Um, so that that's expensive for a figure. So maybe it is a statue and not a game piece. Um, but if you don't remember me talking about Wasteland Warfare, uh, it's essentially um, when you open the box, it's essentially rules and then play mats. And they expect you to have um, war gaming pieces. This is a war game. Uh, and you're kind of expected to have barricades and for race and warfare, it was like swamp or a poison swamp. So you can't just, I mean, you can play 
the game right out of the box, but it will not be very easy if you don't have... Well, if you have an imagination, I guess you could use um, rolled up newspaper <laughs> or whatever. But um, you, it does. It's not. I wouldn't say it's a full game out of the box. Uh, what do you? What are your thoughts on this? And and do you think anything I said was <clears throat> crazy? <laughs> no, I think yeah. And just you know, it is British pounds. Uh, and yep, and fourteen ninety nine British pounds is about nineteen dollars and six cents, mm. roughly right now. That's way off. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting because you're right. You know, Fallout Wasteland Warfare has a two player starter set, which uh, for in US is seventy six ninety nine, but the Fallout Wasteland Warfare Survivor Starter Starter Bundle is one hundred and sixty dollars. So it it it's something that depending on you know, your experience with this type of game, there's a little bit of an initial upfront investment to it. I think though, if you are looking for a more tactical way to play Skyrim or to bring your video games to the board game world, this doesn't seem like the worst way to do it. I think it's just important to know what you're getting yourself into. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Our last story is about the above board television show, which we have previously talked about. Uh, we didn't really know what it was. Uh, well, now we have a report from the studio. And also, if you go to Dice Tower's YouTube page, um, Tom Vassell um, uploaded a video of some like behind the scenes and um, what they did on the show. So uh, I'll give you, instead of me telling you what I saw, I'll tell you what they wrote. <laughs> so each show spotlights three board games, um, a beauty shot and a dynamic Close camera flyby of the board and components, uh, lens flare included. Uh, this, quote, car commercial style, uh, unquote, has witty narration and ends with a great list of um, the proper player qualifications for the game. Um, these back-of-the-box badges go above and beyond the classic uh, age 8 and up in truly surprising ways. Those are like quotes that you could see um, or like think, quote, appropriate for cube fetishists, unquote, which is... Interesting. Um, it also has live uh, skits uh, interspersed in the show um, that allow the rest of the talented cast to shine. They have a thing called Quick Picks, uh, which has a cast member creating a crazy top five list, top five list such as board games I cannot pronounce. It's funny that I slipped up on that sentence. Uh, Retro Spectrum uh, presents an entire line of games with every version and expansion listed uh, and duly noted. Um, let me Spillane it to you. Features Brian Spillane, uh, confidently explaining a board game concept completely wrong. I could do that. Uh, versus pits two uh, cast members against each other, debating which of the two completely unrelated games is superior. Uh, imagine Gloom versus Gloomhaven. Um, and then they do a top 10 list um, from Tom Vassell. So, it was weird. I watched some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, and it really had like an odd whose line is anyways feel to it. There was even a part where they did an improvised song. So I'm not sure who this is for, um, which is fine. I mean, it already has two things that I like, improvised comedy and board games. But like for me, my worry is like who's doing the improvised comedy? Because like if it's me and you and we're doing a board game show, we might not be the best at improvised comedy um so i mean you know if they're like seasoned improv veterans i'm i'm all on board for this show um but i mean i'm interested to see where it goes they still haven't been picked up by 
um, a studio or they don't know where it's going to air yet. But I mean, they did film a few episodes, so good for them. What do you think about this whole thing? Yeah, I think this is interesting just from the the angle that they're taking on it, right? Um, Travis Oates, who's one of the hosts, you know, he comes from a improv theater, improv comedy background. So it makes sense that this is what he's doing in it. Like you said, it seems kind of a combination of your typical late night Jimmy Fallon, Stephen Colbert show crossed with like Saturday Night Live, crossed with like The Daily Show. Like if you kind of met, put all those things together and shook them up a lot and then spit out a show about board games, that kind of seems what this is. It's taking little aspects from each of those shows, but not replicating any of the shows in whole. Yeah. Which maybe it'll work really well. I think it is interesting watching the video is definitely gives you some insight. They're not going to do any reviews. They're not going to do anything like that as far as games go. It's very much, you know, making board games the center of interviews and sketch comedy and all of that kind of different things that you would typically see on a a lifestyle or, or comedy or late night type show. So I'm interested to see where it goes. I think that I don't know if it's going to be successful or not. But I am very interested in the premise and how they're approaching it. It's definitely different than I thought it was going to be. Whether that turns out to be good or bad, we'll have to wait and see. But I'm definitely interested to find out more. That's for sure. Yeah, the more board games in um, in current media, the better, I think. Absolutely. That's all the board game news, Kyle. Awesome. Well, we will head in and talk about some video game news. And we're going to talk about some, excuse me, bigger, broader brush stories we could get into a whole bunch of stuff that we'll talk about a little bit later, but these are just some of the bigger, broader things that have happened in the last couple weeks. Phil Spencer, head of Xbox, has published a new uh, op-ed piece, I guess would be the best way to play it on the Xbox blog, really outlining the plan Xbox is putting into place to address toxicity in gaming. So you can definitely go find that on the Xbox website, and it's been linked all over in social media. But really what it boils down to is Spencer reinforcing Xbox stance that gaming is for everyone, that there is no in-group when it comes to gaming, that everyone who games is part of the in-group, and very clearly outlining some of the initiatives Xbox is going to do or has already started doing to ensure that playing games on Xbox is a safe and welcoming place for everyone. I was impressed to see that there were concrete things that they're doing, not just platitudes of everyone should be welcome here. We want everyone to feel safe, which is good and important. You definitely should, if you believe those things, share those things. But I was really impressed with the fact that Xbox is really continuing to put their money where their mouth is and ensure that saying that gaming is for everyone, that, you know, they want everyone to be able to play games and be part of not only the Xbox gaming universe, but the gaming universe in general. And I, that's something that really has continued to impress me with the direction that Xbox is going. There has definitely been some pushback unsurprisingly on the internet about this. Mostly people worried about their ability to say what they want to while playing games on Xbox Live. But I don't know. I think overall, I'm really happy with this direction that Xbox is going and the fact that they're being very clear about what their plans are and the type of communities they want to create on their platform. Hmm. What are your thoughts on this, Josh? I mean, someone has to say something at some point. 
Yeah. It just happens to be Xbox took this on. Mm-hmm. Um, and and surprise, I'm more surprised that no one has said anything really publicly like this until now. And that's, I think that's more of the sad part of this story. But I love it. I mean, he very, like, he opens just by saying, like, you're wrong about who you think's playing video games right now. Mm-hmm. You're just flat out wrong. And right. I can tell you, like, it's almost all adults and most, almost half of them are women. Right. And you're, these people, your thoughts, these people who don't know video games, and a lot of people who do know video games think it's 15, 12 to 15 year old boys and like three girls. And like, that's it. And mm-hmm. like, it was like that for so long because women felt bullied to play. Like, they don't want to play video games because they're told they can't. Right. And and now we're we're in this female renaissance, if that's a way you can describe what's going on. But like, every like, there's this power struggle where the female females are taking this power back, and you can't just ignore that they're not playing video games and they're not important and they're not doing these things. So. This, I think, toes that line. It's going right in the right direction with everything that's happening. Um, I would, I would love for they don't have to do it, but I would love for like PlayStation and Mike and and um, Nintendo to say something similar in like a press release. Um, I mean, obviously, like I said, they're not obligated to do that, but to have like a support, a supporting voice, or like a or like the one voice, like even if they say like. We stand with Phil or we stand with Xbox on this. Like they don't have to write another op-ed piece, but it would be nice to hear that from other companies. Right. I agree. Or even if they're like, you know, PlayStation also has a zero tolerance policy on harassment or whatever. And I, and I know they do, um, but it might not be a time to like reiterate that. Right. Yeah. I just think this is continues to be Microsoft really being very clear about what the future of their company is and the future of their platform when it comes to gaming is and it very much is here's what we're doing here's where we're going we would love for you to come with us but if you don't want to that's fine yeah you know they're being very clear about what they're trying to do and and that i think is great so big props to phil spencer and the folks over at xbox and good luck in this endeavor i hope it works out very very well for them so the second thing that we're going to talk about briefly is playstation has announced PlayStation Productions, which is going to be focused on bringing their game properties to TV and film. So Asad Quizlebash, who has basically the coolest name at PlayStation, <laughs> uh, is, who is the vice president of marketing, is going to be overseeing this initiative and overseeing this division, if you would. And basically, I, it seems kind of like they are taking a cue from Marvel. And saying, rather than licensing out our IP to other places to make things for us, we're just going to make it ourselves. And as a PlayStation gamer, part of me wishes they were pouring those resources into making more games. <laughs> but part, because this, I cannot, cannot imagine this is going to be cheap. But then also part of me says maybe this is Sony as a company pulling money from maybe Sony Pictures and putting that money here. Right. Because PlayStation really is one of the biggest, if not the biggest at this point, you know, leg for Sony to stand on. So I don't necessarily know that it's, quote unquote, the same money, if you would. But 
yeah, I'm interested to see what they do with this. I'm really interested to see what is coming from it. The the current rumor is that a twisted metal show is the first thing that's going to be happening. Hmm. Kevin and PSVG Discord said it better be a reality show, <laughs> which would be really interesting. But Josh, if you had to pick, what would you like to see PlayStation Productions' first project be? Can I be honest with you? I think the uh, Twisted Metal show is a terrible idea. <laughs> that's totally fine. I think that's that you are welcome to have that opinion. I, don't, I genuinely don't know how I feel about it because I really would think it depends on what it is. I mean, I can't say Uncharted, right? Because that's already supposedly... Theoretically happening. Kind of in development. Right. Um, I mean, they own Metal Gear Solid, right? They own that title. Well, that's a Konami thing. Is it all the article says that they have? It's Metal Gear. Oh, yeah. The Hollywood Reporter article also says they have Tomb Raider. So. Oh, so that's wrong. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because I, I thought, I mean, I thought we just talked about it last week about how it's Konami. So I was like, that's weird. I, yeah. They, yeah. The Hollywood, Reporter, <laughs> the Hollywood Reporter article like lists all these IP that have sold a lot of games on PlayStation. But yeah. I don't think it took the time to recognize that they don't necessarily own all those IPs. Yeah. Okay. I mean, um, if we're talking just to to get something done, like an animated Crash Bandicoot TV show seems the smartest move for Sony um, because you got the kid market and that's mm -hmm. where you're going to, that's where your future investments are in the children. I know that we don't like to market things to children necessarily, right. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, The Last of Us could make an awesome, like, almost like HBO style show, depending on like where they want to shop it to. Right. Um, you could do things like that, but if I'm working for Sony, I would do an animated Crash Bandicoot show first. I would agree. I think something animated, whether it be Crash, uh, Ratchet and Clank, Sly Cooper, anything well, they did like a Ratchet and Clank movie, right? They did do a Ratchet and Clank movie. That wasn't very good. Okay. The game was really good, but the movie was not. Uh, but I think, and I think there might be an animated slide thing in the works. I think now that I really think about it, but what I would like to, so I think any of those would be good ideas. Mm. I would actually like to see and hope this means that we're going to see more development documentaries, kind of like we saw for raising Kratos and kind of like grounded when they're about making the last of us. I hope that we see more of those as a result of having this group. But I also think it'd be really cool to tell not stories 100% directly associated with God of with the big characters with Kratos with Joel and Ellie um, with those main characters I would like to see side stories in those worlds because yeah. I think that is going to give them a little more leeway in the sense of okay what is it like to be some, I, one of the fireflies in the last of us as a television show right you know, rather, you know, and maybe you, maybe it ends with, you know, the last season or whatever ends with Joel killing you or whatever. But I do think something like that would be a more interesting way for them to take it. And I hope that they do something like that to buffer, if you would, or to build the worlds around their IPs a little more deeply. Um, I think, you know, doing, yeah, I, I just think things like that would be more interesting to me than having an Uncharted movie starring Nathan Drake, which I'm still down for. I, I still would obviously watch that, but. Yeah, you they... could do things like Kill Zone or Resistance that are like out of the minds of a lot of people. Yep. But I, I think your your th your thought on the Fireflies thing is that it's probably it, it might be a real smart move to kind of while keeping it gaming related, keep it separate from gaming. So maybe people who are watching it 
aren't associating video games with what they're watching. Like if they marketed Red in theaters as a graphic novel turned movie, right? You, like would people, as many people have seen it, or would people have just like slammed it as being another comic book movie? Right. No, absolutely. So I think that's a good idea as well. If you can do something like. Uh, even if they did like a kill zone, you could do a kill zone show and just call it kill zone and people wouldn't know that it was based off of a video game. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Yeah. So you could do something like that too. So maybe, you know, have a Parappa the Rappa. Um, Pass. <laughs> I, well, I was just going to say like, uh, yeah, like drop the mic or whatever that show is, but have it yeah. like Parappa the Rapper. I mean, people watch that, right? Because people watch drop the mic, I, I assume. I have no, I've never watched it, but I assume people do. <laughs> so all right so playstation productions hey dear listener if you have thoughts on what you'd like to see them do let us know forward with vg on twitter i would love mm. to know your thoughts and final story that we're going to talk about uh, kind of in depth is sony and microsoft are teaming up on tech yes a recent press release says both companies have signed a memorandum of understanding that they are going to collaborate on future cloud-based solutions that will help both sides with their game and content streaming services. So yes, Microsoft, PlayStation, well, Microsoft and Sony teaming up <laughs> yeah. yep. to work on these items together. Uh, some reports coming out recently that the PlayStation division was not aware this was happening and were caught by surprise that all of this was happening. But it sounds like they're going to be using Microsoft's Azure AI and cloud technology, and they are planning to work together to try to solve some of these cloud streaming um, so problems that they're facing as far as latency and all that good stuff. So I'm excited. I think maybe this is the first in many steps. And then we had a game launch today that had crossplay everywhere right away with no with nothing at all. Maybe maybe these these fences are falling, Josh. Maybe the fences are falling. Well, I was actually. Uh, I booted that up before we started recording on my PC first, and then I was going to try it on my Xbox and see if it carried over. Yeah, uh, Dauntless, right? Dauntless, yeah. yeah. It's basically a Monster Hunter, but yep. looks more, way more fun. Uh, <laughs> and it's free. Uh, I think this this headline here, Sony and Microsoft team up on tech, would have been the better headline to to like when this article hit the world. Well, not this article, when this story hit the world. Because even in our own Discord, people are like, oh, what does this mean for crossplay? It doesn't mean anything for crossplay. Right, right. It doesn't mean anything for crossplay. <laughs> right now, maybe in the future it will, but right now, yeah. It, what it does mean is that Microsoft and Sony are talking friendly together in general. Yes, yes. And so, like, we had all these stories pop up afterwards. And like, the funniest one was like, we had to sit down, PlayStation members, and tell them it's okay. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. relax, guys. <laughs> doesn't change you anything. You guys could buy Microsoft. <laughs> Um, I think it's great. I think it's good news that, that, um, uh, realistically, like they kind of close it off at the end of this article. And this is the only way we should look at it. Uh, It allows Sony and Microsoft to work together and share information to solve problems that are currently facing the tech industry as a whole. In short, the two companies can innovate in ways they couldn't alone and everyone benefits. That's perfect. I don't, I mean, it's just nice to see them. This is a good step forward. Yeah. So now they're working together in some aspect. Absolutely. Which is better than what it was last week. For sure. For sure. And 
just to give credit where credit is due, that came from the Game Informer story. Yes. That what Josh just read about By Joe this. Juba. By Joe Juba, who, if you are into RPGs and want someone and, and want someone to follow who reviews a lot of RPGs, Joe Juba, good person to follow. So that is it for our video game news, a little bit of Xbox news, a little bit of PlayStation news, a little bit of joint Xbox and PlayStation news. There might be a third console out there. I can't remember. Uh, the Atari Jaguar. It, oh, man. Did you ever have an Atari Jaguar? Did you know did. anyone who had You had one? Uh-huh. Wow. I saved up, and I bought an Atari Jaguar. <laughs> Probably the worst purchase I ever made in gaming. <laughs> what games did you have? Or game did you have? I had um, Dragon, Bruce Lee Story. Okay. Which was actually very good. Oh, okay. Um, actually, a game I really enjoyed. Um and then I would have to look at what games are out because no other game I had was memorable. Uh, in fact, I kept searching for Alien vs. Predator. That was one of the games that was out on it. And it yeah. was always sold out at Toys R Us. I distinctly remember the ads for Alien vs. Predator on Jaguar were being in basically every video game magazine I had at the time. Yeah. yeah. Cont- everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. I actually think I think I had another game or game or two that I did enjoy. Um, I remember playing with my brother on the controller that had a phone pad on it. I know that thing was ridiculous. <laughs> um, so yeah, I wish I, I wish I kept it just for something that like just for like coffee talk. <laughs> oh, absolutely! Like, it's it was just I don't know what else I could have bought instead of it, but I should have. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously no slight towards Nintendo. They have a, I'm actually really looking forward to their E3 presentation. So Yes, me too. I, I look forward to theirs every year. Absolutely. So, hey, let's transition here. Topic of the show. And what we're going to talk about tonight is rumors. Not the Fleetwood Mac album, which you should listen to if you had never have. It's very good. But those in the gaming industry. Now, this time of year, we get a dearth of them. But how do you decide what you do with them? Are they news? Do you believe them? Are they spoilers if it's about something that's going to be revealed at E3? Are you now spoiling E3 if you talk about it? How does this all work? And let's be honest, there is a mess of them currently. Very briefly, like the rumors that are out there that we've heard, mostly relating to E3 or upcoming things, is that George R.R. Martin is working on a game with From Software. Most apparently it's called Great Rune, and it's going to be at Microsoft's E3 showcase. Uh, the development of the 2020 Call of Duty has been taken over by Treyarch, and Sledgehammer is no longer the lead developer on it. Apparently, we're getting the release date for Cyberpunk 2077 from CD Projekt Red at E3, and it's also going to be on the Microsoft stage. And depending, and I'm not going to talk about any more in depth, if you want, there is a what people are saying is reliable. I don't know how reliable it is. Basically, Again, what people are saying yeah, is reliable yeah, yeah, yeah. rundown of the entire Microsoft basically plan of show for E3, which if it's true, is pretty impressive. I read it, but I don't want to spoil it for people who want to be excited about it. And again, you know, it, it's very interesting to me because people often will be say, well, this person leaked XYZ information, so they must be reliable about this new information. And that's kind of what's happening uh, with this Xbox rumor. So we'll see if that run of show that's out there is is legit or not when it comes to the show but i'm not going to tell you where to find it because i want you to be surprised and if you really want to find it you can go find it yourself it's on twitter it's easy to find (laughs) oh i don't know if that's the same one actually yeah it's by that guy okay and let me let me address that real quick before you before you jump into this 
Because I saw you put, I saw the show notes and I'm like, wait a second, the Microsoft thing is out. So I went to, you can just go to Twitter and just do Microsoft E3 plans and it comes right up. I'm going to go see if it's the same one while you And talk. so this guy who is supposedly very reliable on his leaks. And, and in fact, if you read about him, he's very boisterous about his, I might know too much information. And you look at his like reports of what's going to be at Microsoft and he, for some of it, he's very specific. And then for some of it, he's very vague. It's like, we'll see, we'll probably see this, but not much is known at this point. Well, if you know the leaks and all the show information, how can you say things like that? He also said that um, Elder Scrolls will be shown at Bethesda, and they said it will not be shown. They've already said that. So if, unless I found another weird report where someone was saying everything that was going to be on the Sony floor, I mean, on the Xbox floor, like, I feel like I found the same thing that you were looking at. Actually, I don't think this is the same. At least the first one I have found here is not the same one I was reading. (laughs) Because the first one I found was not on Twitter. Okay. So, yeah. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Yes, it is neither here nor there. But I cut you off before the end of your... your It's okay. (laughs) Totally fine. 100% fine. So here are the questions that I have for you, Josh. When it comes to this time of year, or just in general, how do you sort through the noise? How do you choose what to believe? And when it comes to rumors, are they a good thing? Are they a bad thing? What are we supposed to do with them, and how are we supposed to think about them, sir? Well, was it Brawler or whatever? Is that the person that you were talking about? I have seen that one, but that was not the one I was referring to. Okay. If you see the, the thing from Brawlerer, it's I can tell you he's... He might be right <laughs> about some things, but he's guessing because you can tell by everything else. Um, I mean, a rumor is news until it's until it's not a rumor anymore. Because you have to, if you want to be in the news cycle, you have to report on rumors like they're news. I think, um, and then you report on it when it turns out to be false. <laughs> but you say it's a rumor. You don't like. I know that we're in this time, uh, this time in the world where. You can't really trust mainstream media because they just fly off the handle on uh, on anything they hear. Um, I think video game rumors are a little bit different. Uh, they're usually um, based on some like truth. Uh, but yeah, sometimes it's speculation. Sometimes people lie and say that they know something, but it's speculation. Um, I would rather just it be put out like that, but obviously they're not getting clicks by saying, I'm speculating that this might happen. Um, so what do you, what do we do with rumors? I mean, we don't, can we sort through the noise? I don't think so. It's always going to be there. Uh, obviously this time of the year, it's more prevalent. Like it's harder to get around it. Um, but like you said, you don't want to spoil the Microsoft thing, even if it's real or if it's not. Um, I don't like when they, do things like that, like reveal a presentation. It's kind of like it's talking about the end of Endgame. <laughs> right. Like before people can see it. Um, but people love that stuff too. They do. And that's fine. As long as I have a choice to to avoid it, they're going to do what they do. But do I want someone to tell me everything that's going to happen on Microsoft stage? No, because I genuinely like surprises. Mm-hmm. But we have people in our Discord you probably have people in your real life in your regular life that if something gets spoiled for them, they say it won't affect their experience. Mm-hmm. And those are the people who love the rumor mill. <laughs> they love it. And they can't wait to tell you. We we were sitting at work 
on Monday, one of the kids who watches Game of Thrones is talking to me about it. Another guy comes in. He hasn't seen it yet because his kids kept him up all night. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, we're not going to spoil anything for you. And the other kid says, yeah, I don't want to spoil anything for you. Three minutes later, he spoils the end of the show because he can't just not talk about it. These are the type of people who love the rumor mill. They love it. They can't get enough of it. So, yeah, there's people out there who are like, oh, man, that Microsoft show is going to be terrible. I saw what they're doing or vice versa. And you're like, okay, now my expectations have been pulled one way or the other. And now you you can't go into it with like some form of by like uh, of a of an opinion. Well, maybe not bias, but you're like you have an, an indirect like maybe an accidentally informed opinion that may not be based on fact. True. I think you know when talking about specifically something like Microsoft's E3 presser or showcase or whatever you want to call it, the hard part is is that Microsoft themselves have said it's going to be their biggest year ever. Yeah. You know, so there already is a sense of gravity for this show coming directly from Microsoft. They're not pulling punches. They're saying this is going to be big. Right. And, you know, they're giving console specs or at least some console details on the next gen. So that probably in and of itself makes it big. But I I always wonder when we get to and I wonder about this with Discord and the other ways that we interact on social media. You know, even me saying, hey, George R. R. Martin's working on a game with From Software called Great Rune. It's going to be at Microsoft's E3 press conference. Is that a spoiler? Is that a thing I shouldn't have talked about? George R. R. Martin in his blog said, hey, I'm consulting on a game with, I can't remember if he said. In Japan, he said. In Japan. Okay. I couldn't remember if he just said how vague he was about it. But in Japan, and there was a rumor a year ago or something like that, that he was working on a game with From Software. So then that was kind of put together. And then. Other people who had had leaks said, hey, we had heard this, but now that George has confirmed he's doing this, this must be what it is. Yeah. You know, so is that all just good reporting and putting things together? Is that? It's not a spoiler unless you've physically seen it. Like, if you've seen, like, hey, I saw this game (laughs) and it's by this person and it's Mm going to be like, and then you tell people, like, if, if Microsoft or anyone is specifically trying to keep something under wraps and they trust you enough to be in the same room as them showing that, it's probably illegal what you're doing. But second, like that's a spoiler regardless of your your take on it. But if you're going off of, if you're putting the pieces together and you're like, I know this is happening and I know this is happening. So this is probably what we're going to see. That's not a spoiler. That's just good detective work. Um, and you know, and you don't even know if you're going to be correct. You might think you are, but obviously, you could be wrong. But my like my bigger worry is like, and obviously, it's not dramatic. It's not as dramatic as it might sound. But like, say you have so Donnie's very excited for Fable, right? Let's say that's all he's excited for for Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And I know he's excited for more, but then the sleeker says like, as an example, um, follow. But uh, sorry, Fable, whatever will be shown at Microsoft's E3. Right. Gameplay will be out 2019. Then you were going in with this expectation that this is going to happen. Now, if they don't show Fable at all, Donnie's going to be mad or disappointed. Maybe not mad. Right. If they show Fable and it's not coming out until 2020, Donnie's going to be disappointed. If they show it not coming out until 2021 and on a different console... Donnie's going to be disappointed. So you're affecting someone's enjoyment of this conference, which is supposed to be entertaining and exciting. 
Um, like I said, obviously that's a little dramatic because there'll be other things to be excited about, but right. that might be the only thing that's bringing someone to that show. And that's a bummer if it's, you know, not true. <laughs> right. But right. it's still a rumor. So you, you, could, you also like, you just kind of have to check your expectations at the door with rumors. Yeah. I think that it's hard too because, you know, the hype train is fun, right? Yes. It's, Get- it's super fun. So that may, that always makes it hard because once you start, once these dominoes start to fall, it becomes kind of this runaway until we get to E3. And it's it's a fun train to be on. And I can't imagine trying to be a, a company who makes games and not that I feel bad for them by any means or in any way, but trying to deliver me- a message that is appropriately showcasing expectation, right? We yeah. want you to be excited, but not too excited, but pretty excited how how do you, how do you balance that message of what you're doing and how do you like i understand why ubisoft has started to show games ahead of time because they're just not confident necessarily that games aren't going to leak anymore right yeah, yeah. so you know ubisoft is showing games early and i guess this year we haven't this year in general it doesn't seem we've had a ton of leaks but but i think there's my guess would be there are going to be a few bombshells, big, big things. But my sense is a lot of things are gearing up for next gen other than maybe Nintendo. Like we talked about last week or the week before, Nintendo has a stellar rest of the year plan very clearly. Yeah. And, you know, Xbox definitely has some really exciting games in the hopper. PlayStation, eh, we'll see. They have some games we know about, but we have no idea when they're coming out. Yeah. So... But I, you saw Raising Kratos, right? Yeah, I so did see Raising Kratos. This is what I picture with like Cyberpunk, right? So now take out Sony, put in Project Red's studio, and mm-hmm. you have all these people sitting down at a computer making Cyberpunk. Now imagine everyone is on their computer and these rumors pop up. Cyberpunk's getting a release date at E3. And then imagine yesterday your boss told you the game is delayed six months and you don't have a release date yet. <laughs> Imagine the morale. Yeah. Imagine how a studio people feel like someone's like, oh, we're definitely getting a release date for Cyberpunk at E3. And people are like, who told you that? We're not even close to a release date. So I worry about things like that too, especially after watching mm-hmm. like that documentary and like how and like how much these people work. I think rumors, I guess... I guess I got down to a little bit more about how I feel about rumors. I think rumors can be dangerous to a certain extent to who it affects. It doesn't affect us right. necessarily, but it could it could genuinely affect people working on a game. Right. Because, you know, when rumors come out, we in general very voraciously digest them and go after them and want to know yes. about them. But realistically, if you don't find out a you know, if a rumor happens and you find out about it, whatever it is, say that, you know, Bioware is like, oh, our next, we're working on the next Mass Effect. But instead, you find out that rumor. But instead of that, six months later, you find out about the game when the reveal trailer happens. Is one, do you, are you diminished in any way by having to wait for the reveal trailer and finding out at that time than having known it for six more months? Are you, right. you know, is your experience different as a result of knowing something when you didn't know anything else about it this george rr martin game that he's working on with from when that game is revealed do i suddenly feel differently about that reveal because i knew about it already if that's truly what it is 
I mean, maybe it could look like Dead by Daylight on the Switch, and you'd be like, no, <laughs> I am less excited about this game now. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm just a firm believer, believer in the surprise element of things mm-hmm. um, because that's what brings me the most joy. But I know people, some people hate surprises. So that's I true. get that. You can't please everybody. So, um, you know, just speaking from my experience, I prefer surprises. And there's also people who you put a box in front of them and you say, don't open this until I come back. <laughs> and then it's opened. Like, there's people that are like that too. So they're like, as soon as you know something about this game, I need you to tell me. And right. I, I get that as well. Um We'll never be free of the rumor mill. It starts in fourth grade and it never ends. That's very true. Do you think it's different if you know about a game versus not knowing about a game in the sense of, hey, this Call of Duty in 2020 moving from being taken over by Treyarch, supposedly, and Sledgehammer no longer being the lead developer on it. Now, clearly, not even the 2019 Call of Duty has officially been announced. Right. But we're pretty confident that there's going to be a 2019 Call of Duty. And we're pretty confident there's going to be a 2020 Call of Duty because there's been a Call of Duty every year for like 15 years at this point. They did say there would be one in E3 this year. Right. Yes. But technically, we don't know the name officially. We don't know the name, right? Yeah. Everyone thinks it's Modern Warfare. Four? Right. Yeah. I wanted to say four, but I was like, is it five? I think think it's four. (laughs) I think it's four. There's been a lot of them. But. Since we assume that game's already in development, does that affect you? Are you impacted differently by those type of statements? Or, i.e., when Final Fantasy VII Remake was announced, and then a year later, 18 months later, whatever it was, that they moved development studios, it became an internal Square project, then rather than who it was had been working on it from the outside. Do you think that's different than finding out about a game that has not been announced yet? Is yeah. One- one news and the other's a rumor? I think, like, there's things like we know we're getting Call of Duties. Uh, even with Assassin's Creed, we know they're going to take a year off. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Donnie said on PSVG Prime, that doesn't mean that they won't show something at, uh, of Assassin's Creed. It just means it's not coming out this year. Right. Um, but I think, like, so the, the polar opposites are like, okay, so, yes, we got a new Call of Duty coming out. Okay. There is an excitement level for that period, like what, mm-hmm. whatever that level is. Um, but then, like, take um, Donnie and Caroline's reaction to the Metroid Prime Four logo, yeah, from last year, right? I'm like, that's awesome for them, um, and it proves that a game in a series doesn't necessarily mean that it's a given, right? Because I, I think genuinely, some people thought that we wouldn't see another Metroid Prime; we might just see a different Metroid game. Mm-hmm. So in that aspect, like, that's huge. But, you know, we could have said two months before that, we're, the next Metroid's probably going to be Metroid Prime 4. And I think they still would have had the same excitement that they had, but maybe right. we wouldn't have yeah. that because we were like, oh, yeah, we were talking about that a couple months ago because that was already in our head. But right. when, when you're generally surprised about something, like, if we got an announcement for Dead Space 4, I think I would be genuinely surprised and excited um, because I don't think that we'll see that, but it is, right. it's possible because it's a series that they could milk some money out of, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I think it could go both ways, but yeah. yeah, I don't know that I'll ever be excited for another Call of Duty game. They can add aspects to a game that will be exciting to me, but I don't think I'll ever watch uh, an E3 and be surprised to see a new Call of Duty. Right. I think when you assume... 
for instance, if Gorilla next year comes out and says, hey, we're making Horizon Zero Dawn 2, I won't be surprised. I yeah, assume that's awesome. what's happening. Like, <laughs> I think it'd be awesome, and I'm yeah. looking forward to seeing what that might be. But I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised by that. You know, when you know, uh, I'm trying to think when uh, Naughty Dog announced that they were making The Last of Us Part Two. Yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't surprised by that. I was still excited, but it wasn't surprising to me. So I always wonder what the difference in those feelings are, and if rumors wreck the surprise, but maybe not the excitement. And is that okay then? Yeah, I mean, like the excitement obviously is when you see it, right? Um, but they could tell you we're doing the Last of Us too. You're like, okay, yeah, I, I knew they would, but then you see it and it's not anything like the first one. Then there's the surprise element that That's true. you didn't get because you already knew the game was coming, right? I, I mean, I, I wouldn't expect that to happen, but that would be the difference between the excitement and the surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, I mean, we're gonna see a Spider-Man too. Will we be surprised? No, because right. it was successful. We know that they'll do that. Um, but if it's a whole different take on the game, that could that would be surprising. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So as we run up to E3 and we get closer at any point, do you try to start avoiding rumors or try to kind of avert your eyes to informed speculation, if you would? If we didn't do what we do, mm-hmm. I probably would say yes, but it's kind of unavoidable. Yeah. Like with our Discord and we you know, we have to talk about this stuff sometimes too. So um I don't know that I'll be avoiding it, but I'm not going to be seeking it out. I gotcha. All right, dear listener, let us know your thoughts on rumors and all of that good stuff. Do you love the hype train, the rumor mill? Do you try to avoid it? What are your thoughts on it in general? Do you consider rumors to be news? Do you not consider them to be news? There's a poll on our Twitter that probably will be done by the time this episode posts, I now realize, but hey. You can go back and look at the results if you'd like to. So, yes. But, Josh, hey, we do have uh, an email, a listener question. Do you want to jump into that? We do. It's a it's a two-parter by Splig at Dobolicious on Twitter. Uh, he starts with, uh, with Game of Thrones ending, does the, quote, water cooler, end quote, type show die with it? I'll kind of miss the internet hype, positive and negative, between episodes. Another big show will come, maybe not as big, but with all the streaming services letting it out all at once, kind of shorts, I think you meant shows, how high a show, oh, kind of shorts, how high a show can go. Okay, that's a statement. Is it a question? I mean, we could discuss the state. We could discuss the statement in general. We'll get for a question. There is questions later. Who, what, where, why, and when. No, um, I would say... I mean, he's right. Another big show will come along. We have, and I think we'll address that later, but um, I think something you see, some streaming services have started doing the weekly approach instead of um, the all at once. So I think you'll still see people doing things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think a weekly show makes something more digestible because I might look at Netflix shows and worry that I don't have time to watch binge watch a show. Mm-hmm. And I know I have a set date where I'm watching Game of Thrones. Right. So I think for me, that's a little bit different. I, pro- I might be more likely to watch a whole series weekly than like I'm not I'm not a single guy anymore who can just watch all of Lost in a week in his bedroom <laughs> with a <laughs> case of Sam Adams and, you know, a headache. Um what do you think about 
the statement at the at the beginning. I do think that at least probably for the foreseeable future, Game of Thrones will be the last type of show like this that has this style where we all watch it and then talk about it for a week and then watch it and talk about it for a week. I don't think we're going to get this again for a long time. I, I don't think this is a regular phenomenon that happens. So, and especially with the push to streaming services, and especially if you think about, you know, the, the shows that have done this in the past, Lost, Breaking Bad, things like that, in general, really highly critically rated shows, most of those are coming from the Netflixes these days. And, they, you know, HBO is, is doing some, has some good stuff and Showtime and, and that still have some good things. But I don't know that there is something that's going to be captivating enough to pull everybody in to watch a show from week to week. HBO tried to get in with Westworld. They have another show coming out this fall that I'm blanking on the name on that's based off another book trilogy. Oh, um... <laughs> yeah, I can't the remember the name. Mortal Instruments. Uh, is that what it's based off of? It's the Golden Compass one. Maybe. It's yeah. the first Golden Compass book. That could be. I can't remember. I think I. Mm. It has Lynn Manuel Miranda and James McAvoy in it. Maybe I'm thinking of something different than you are. Yeah, we're probably thinking about something different. Anyway, that's neither we here nor there. We cross our wires every once in a while. Yeah, we do. But neither. That's neither here nor there. The the desire and the 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 drive to create the next Game of Thrones. Everyone is trying to do it right now. Yes. So and a lot of them will fail. <laughs> a lot of them will fail. And Game of Thrones is our Game of Thrones. HBO is trying to do it as well with these spin-off series. So which the first one starts filming in June, I think. So yeah, Naomi Watts. Yeah. So the the drive is there to try to do something. Um I but I think that probably for at least a bit, we're not gonna see another cultural touchstone as much as Game of Thrones, um, where we are having those water cooler moments. So which mm-hmm. I, I am going to miss, to be honest. Yes. Yes. Well people will rewatch it. It's okay. It's and, true. Then, and then half of the internet will just not watch the last season. Um also he writes well he writes also seems like it took Lord of the Rings forever to get a top tier game from the IP War of the Rings. Think Game of Thrones will take as long? Uh, well, first, I'll, I, I would argue there is a very good Game of Thrones game already there is. by Absolutely. Fantasy Flight Games. Yep. Um, and Game of Thrones Oathbreaker, a social deduction game, uh, I think just came out or is coming out. And that's also supposed to be a very good social deduction game. Mm-hmm. Um, Blake, uh yeah, try that Game of Thrones game. It's very good. Uh, and they have an expansion called The Mother of Dragons. So all you crybabies on the internet can get your Mother of Dragons fix. <laughs> Sorry, internet. Don't come after me. Um, uh, so he asks, uh, what, game, what kind of game would it be if we were thinking of a different Game of Thrones game? Well, uh, this Game of Thrones game that I am talking about is... Ooh, is it? Would you consider it? It's not worker placement. It's like, uh, is it a 4X game? I think it's... I mean, area control. It's area control. Yeah. Picture small world, but more serious because <laughs> you're taking over yeah. a map, uh, essentially going towards um, other houses. Yeah. And it's an old yeah. game. I mean, the second edition, and it's just called A Game of Thrones. The a board Game of game. Thrones. Board game. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it came out, what, 2011? 2012? I got it when it came out. So yeah, it's probably 20... 2012? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. It's old, though. It's old. Yeah, but it's also based on the books. Yes, based on the books, yeah. So. Yeah. 
he continues. Also, is there a good Battle of the Five Armies game? Uh, in parentheses, he puts The Hobbit. Or should I just get Root and pretend? Well, Root might be a better choice for you. It's going to be hard to find, but you might find it at a local game store. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in fact, there is a Battle of the Five Armies board game. There is. Uh, it's by Ares Games. Um, you can actually buy it right now on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's only $251. So <laughs> No big deal. Save your pennies uh, if you want to get it. Um, but yeah, I think it's because it's out of print, but you could probably find it places. Um, you could also find a War of the Ring game, a Hunt for the Ring game. Um, the War of the Ring game is, I believe, a miniatures game, and there's a bunch of additional pieces you can get for the game. It's there's a second edition out. Um and Hunt for the Ring game is Hidden Movement. It's like Fury of Dracula, if you've played that, where where um you play Ring Wraiths and you're trying to find the ring. Mm-hmm. Uh which that game is on my short list of games I really want to get. Yeah. Whereas a Game of Thrones the board game is on my short list of games I really want to get. But it's one of those games that it requires three players. Yes. So well, you got a board game group now, so you should I do. be able to make that work. I do. It's also 120 <laughs> to 240 minutes per session, so yeah, no big deal. <laughs> no big deal. But it is, I think, a top 100 game on Board Game Geek. So yeah, I made to make sure to bring it out of my closet and include it in my collection in here. So I don't know where I put it, but so yeah, it's, it's a game it, I folded incorrectly and folded the board right now. Oh, <laughs> ouch! It's it's it is interesting because Game of Thrones and really Lord of the Rings. You know, in the video game world for a long time, IP-based video games were kind of frowned upon and poo-pooed upon and and typically not very good. Mm -hmm. Not always true in the board game world. I mean, there are definitely some of those, but A Game of Thrones, Lord of of the Rings, they've had very, very good board game implementations. Yes. So So I hope that helped. There are Lord of the Rings games. Check them out if you can. Uh, You can certainly get Root. By all all means, it it sounds like it's a great game. Uh, (laughs) I wish I played it. The many times I had opportunities to do it, but I did not. Um, so if you get it, let us know how it is. Absolutely. Uh, hashtag that board of 3G. Indeed. <laughs> so, all right. Well, hey, thanks for those listener questions. We always appreciate them. Uh, as we round out the podcast this evening, we want to leave you with a recommendation to live a well-rounded life. Again, we are a gaming podcast, despite how the show starts. Uh, <laughs> but we want to give you something, a recommendation, suggestion, thing that we're typically in or that we're into right now. That is helping us live a well-rounded life. Josh, good sir, what would you recommend? And despite how it starts and how it ends, we're a board game podcast. Yeah, hey, that was a lot. I mean, that's a lot of talking about games we had tonight. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my suggestion, uh, I told, I went back and forth between two different uh, ones. They're both entertainment focused. Um, is nailed it on Netflix. Season three just came out, and my wife and I are huge fans of that show. Although she's on her phone so much. I don't know how much of the show she actually sees. So <laughs> really, I'm a big fan of the show. Uh, in fact, they put out a like a little quick little nine-minute um, episode with the cast of Sabrina uh, from Netflix. Well, three of the cast members, and it was very funny. Uh, you can find that on YouTube. But yeah, I mean, Nicole Byers, the host, she's a hilarious um, comic and... She usually has comic friends guest on or famous chefs or people you may or may not have ever heard of. But generally, well, I've talked about this for two other seasons on the show because uh, it's been on since we've been recording. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's great. I really love it. It's just 
it's it's a nice relaxing like sitting in bed at the end of the day laughing with and at people but not mm-hmm. in a cruel way right, right they right. know they're bad too um and just to see some of the things people try to get away with when they're not good at cooking is just hilarious <laughs> so i can't recommend that highly enough nailed it on netflix Awesome. The show I'm going to recommend, hey, guess what? It's a documentary. Yeah, New Kids on the Block, huh? That's a weird one. New Kids on the Block, not quite. (laughs) New Chefs on the Block, which is a documentary on Hulu from, I think, 2017, maybe 2018. It follows two uh, chefs who are opening restaurants in the Washington, D.C. area. And opening a restaurant, always a risky proposition. And obviously, they don't know how these restaurants are going to work out prior to the documentary starting but it's just an interesting you know look behind the scenes of what it takes to open a restaurant how that all goes i think i don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that they start with hey here's how long you know how much money we have uh to renovate the space and when we plan to open and they both probably go over budget and probably miss their opening date so (laughs) no big deal there but it is a very interesting look just into that world and what it takes to go ahead open a business and really one person who's doing it with a on a very large budget with some cap with some investors and another who is doing it with the sweat of their brow and help from family and friends on on a much smaller scale so really an interesting look at both ends of the spectrum um, and kind of where things end up for them so that's new shifts new chefs on the block on hulu definitely a recommendation josh hey what do you say we wrap this show up sir let's do it Thank you for joining us, everyone. Uh, in addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at Board with Fiji, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Board with Fiji. So feel free to give us a five-star rating over there. Also, if you want to communicate in the more long form, uh, you're just not feeling social media, feel free to send us an email at boardwithfiji at gmail.com. Uh, we tag our stuff with hashtag Board with Fiji so you can see what we're doing. So Please do the same for us. We would love to see what you're playing um, and what you're up to in life. Uh, Whatever podcast service you're listening to us on, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. That is whether you're downloading us from the PSVG feed, the Dice Tower Network feed, or our very own standalone board with video games feed. You can find me on my couch with a controller in my hand uh, playing games. on PlayStation Network and Xbox Live, that is Why So Serious. That's S-I-R-R-I-U-S. I'm sure you saw my post of what not to send me if you want to be my friend. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, it's just an everyday thing here. <laughs> Kyle, where can people find you? So you can find me on all the usual places, Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek, all at Psychocross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. As always, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media, especially if you have ideas about what you would like to see us do for the week of E3 and the week of Origins. Uh, we're, we're kind of tossing around and thinking about some ideas about what we might do those weeks. So if you have thoughts about what we're going to do, because one will obviously be heavily video game focused and the other will be heavily board game focused, uh, let us know. We'd love to know your thoughts and feedback. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, Never stop gaming.